It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Take Talk Podcast. I'm Stephen O'Rourke, and as always, I'm with my co-host, Brett Whitefield, and Brett... It is episode 50. Oh. That's a pretty big milestone, I think. It is a uh, massive milestone, Steve. We're celebrating. I'm popping champagne right now. I know. I'm hammering coffee. It's a good, it's a great time of year. I'll probably maybe even throw some Baileys in it, get the day going. <laughs> yes. Steve, speaking of episode 50, um, we put out a challenge for people for a, a giveaway, an episode 50 giveaway. Yes, we, we are did. giving away a fantasy points premium subscription. This is like the Mac daddy subscription. The amount of crap you get with it is insane, but we're not going to do it right now on the pod. Steve, you want to know why? Why? Because just like my seven year old and my six year old, people can't follow directions. <laughs> I don't know how many entries I got of people not fulfilling the full criteria. I need the review. And I need screenshot proof of the review, not one or the other. You also can't just DM me and say, hey, I did a review. Can I be entered into the... No! <laughs> you gotta do the whole thing. I need screenshot proof. So far, I think out of... We've had over 20 entries for the giveaway. Nice. Only three people actually followed directions. Now, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there right now. I... We will do a giveaway for just those three people next week for following directions. So they will be in their own little mini pool. So they have a 33% chance of winning the premium sub. For the other bit of slackers, I'm going to reward you still with a giveaway. But you're going to be in the bigger pool with everybody else. So we're actually going to give away two now. So that's what you did. You guys didn't follow directions, and now I'm forced to give away two subscriptions. <laughs> so, look, what, look what you made us do. Look what you made us do. But I had to I had to come on here and talk about that because that's that's uh, you guys are what like I think everyone that applied is at least eighteen years old. You can't follow basic directions. Five star rating, screenshot proof. That's all it takes. You guys couldn't do that. Come on, let's <laughs> listen. We were, I mean, pre pod we were talking about like customer service and stuff. And if there's anything that I think anybody has learned in customer service, and I love all of our listeners, but. The one thing you learn is that you just have to assume that nobody knows what they're doing ever at any point at any time that like every per every customer you just like you're going to have to sometimes just take them by the hand and like like your seven and six year old be like, OK, first we're going to start by doing this. And then when you're done with that, we're going to go over and do this. And then the job is done. <laughs> yes. So the, the keywords in my house are how I get my kids on track. Are, and this is a, a business tactic as well, prioritize and execute. I'll say, Alia, that's my seven-year-old, what do you need to do right now? She'll list off this giant list, and she's all you know, frazzled because this list is big of things she has to do. I say, all right, of course. what do we do then to accomplish the list? Prioritize and execute, Daddy. Prioritize and execute. And then, boom, sure enough, my seven-year-old can figure that out. So I need everyone listening that wants to, to be part of the giveaway to prioritize and execute. Get your rating in, get your screenshot, DM it to me. Takes like max two and a half minutes. 
That's max. That's like max. If you, that's if you, you do that finger in the 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 review. You know, if that's if your computer stalls in the middle and you're like it's lagging and the Twitter page won't load and yeah, exactly. Screenshots are taking a little bit of time. Then that's where you hit the two and a half minutes. Otherwise, like thirty eight seconds. Yes, you can all do right. it. We believe in you all. I know you guys can do it. I know I mean, it. I know you can for sure. Um, well, cool. So let's let's. Before we get into football stuff, Steve, I did have a little sidebar conversation. I messaged you and Chris yesterday about the the Born trilogy. Yes, the original Born trilogy, not anything that's been created afterwards because it's yes. kind of trashy. But that original Born trilogy, Steve, like because we've talked TV and movies on this podcast, so I figured it was a good time to come back into it. Yeah, that original Born trilogy is fantastic. I love it. 50 times, but I, I recently, I got a notification on Netflix. Like you have 20 more days to watch, you know, the born identity. And I'm like, what? Like, why, why are you suggesting this? But anyway, so I, I went through, I watched all three movies in like a 36 hour span. And I love that. It's, it still stands up today as one of the, the better, I would say like action genre trilogies. It's phenomenal. It is so good. I love Matt Damon. I love the whole premise of the, the, um, movies and everything i think they're really they're really well done i i feel like that i feel like the born identity was like one of the first action movies i ever saw yeah of like real action because i remember my parents were super into the born movies and i like i remember watching it and then i feel like the born trilogy is like in my stable of movies that i try and watch at least once a year. Yes. I've got like the born trilogy. Dark Knight is always in there. Um, one, at least two of like Quentin Tarantino movies and then dumb and dumber and the hangover. Those are like the movies that once a year I make sure to watch because I love them all so much. (laughs) Those are the movies where like, if you happen to be scrolling like TV, like I'm, I rarely have regular TV on, but if I do, I'm like scrolling, and then one of them, yes. it just, I just inevitably land there, and then I end up watching the whole thing. Because there is something about like, yeah, like obviously you can watch a lot of these movies on demand whenever you want, but there's something yeah. about stumbling on the movie on yes. cable and be and just like it's just a, I don't know, it's just different. And I like I completely agree. Where like I'll be scrolling through like YouTube TV and I'll see it, I'm like, all right, I gotta watch, I gotta throw it on. Yeah, exactly. Um, the big point I wanted to make with the Born Identity, though, is how many other shows and movies have followed the model of that? Like, they owe everything to that director and writer. Like, right. it's crazy. Like, there's been, I mean, hundreds of spy shows where they all follow this same generic, you know, rogue. I mean, even shoot the what's the newest one? Jack was it Jack Ryan? Yeah, the Jack Ryan yeah. shows has such a born feel to them. Yep. It's a mysterious spy. You don't know a lot about him. He's always in trouble in foreign countries, dodging, yep. you know, Interpol, dodging CIA, dodging FBI. It's it's crazy. I mean, it's um, but like they they owe everything to this this Born trilogy because they really set the standard for how to make these productions. And none of them, by the way, have been nearly as good as the Born trilogy. No. It's yeah. It's just such a hard like I feel like it's so hard to execute it in a way that's like believable. Yeah, because there's like, I mean, everybody loves a good government incompetence type, you know, type situation. And I feel like that's like what a lot of those movies 
and movies and shows are like based out of is someone like stepping up and taking over for the incompetence or getting around the incompetence like and it's just so hard to make it in a way that's like overall believable and i feel like the born trilogy did that so well and matt damon's just i mean matt damon's an exceptional actor i've always yes been a big fan of him and i think so much of like his demeanor is what helps pull that off is that the the writing combined with his ability to you know have that demeanor that is needed for the character i feel like it's just perfect yeah and after going to the trilogy again one thing i've realized too steve is i think that format that style of content is better done over movie than tv because think you got to think about the level of intensity that each one of those movies maintains yes you can't it's hard to keep that up for 10 to 12 episodes yes you get so like i hate to use the word desensitized because but it's true you get so desensitized to all these traumatic moments he's going through right you're just like or the main character is going through you're just like but like there's crazy stuff happening it, do, it doesn't even affect you in any way born's not like that like every critical moment is like edge of your seat like you're just gripped in right and, uh, you know waiting to see what happens so i, I think the two-hour format's actually better it's a better medium to get that story told yeah it's a believable time for they put it in like a believable time frame when yeah, it's, it's 10 episodes bit. and something big happens every episode like you said you become like numb to it almost where it's like all right how can this all be good like how can this happen right after that happened last week like you're telling me that all of this is happening like just consecutively right exactly all right speaking of things we're getting numb to how about the nfl draft steve (laughs) i feel like it's finally ramping like the there that's that period between like end of the super bowl to like end of March, it's that like phasing out of football being being here, but still staying engaged with free agency and like the draft just gets so hammered home. I mean, which obviously is great and we all love it, but like it just you, like you said, you get you get numb to it at times where this player's falling, this player's rising, this player's doing great, this player tested terribly, this player tested great. It's just. Like this, like it just all sound, it just all blends together. Yep. A hundred percent. And there's so many opinions out there. Oh my gosh. I mean, I pulled up a website today just cause I like, I'm just kind of keeping a running tally, keeping eyes on who had like what mock drafts have people going where. And I found a website where I think it's pretty just, I think it's just like, NFL mock draft database.com. Yeah, I'm in that now, by the way. My you are. Draft. I saw yeah. that. You were yeah. like number 10 on the list, which I thought was huge representation for fantasy points. We love that. But it's just like, I mean, there were hundreds, I think. Yeah. It's insane. And like, it's just, it can be such an echo chamber where all of them start, like, especially at this time when they're like, when the, the visits get kind of finalized. All the pro days and the combine numbers are the same. Like all of them start to look the same. Yes. Well, it's so echo chambery. By the way, if you're using the mock draft database, and please, just for your own sake, don't use my mocks as a curation. I my mocks aren't predictive. The mock draft 4.0 will be a predictive mock, Steve. But the first three, these are like what I would do if I was the GM. 
Right. I'm by no means <laughs> trying to tell you what I think is going to happen. So when you when I put four quarterbacks going one through four, I don't think that's going to happen. But I just you know I wouldn't use my mock draft for that purpose. So I'm flattered to be on the the database. Use but, it to judge your GM. Yeah. Brett knows more than them. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, that that anyway, <laughs> Steve, because I wanted to get into hot takes, your 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 top hot takes, and not we're not talking other people's hot takes, yours, things yes. that you have kind of feeling in your heart or your brain that you think is hot takey. I've got a couple. Wanted to get those out there. And what are your top hot takes of this draft cycle? So, without further ado, let's just jump right into those. Do you want to start it, or you want me to start it? I will start it. I'm, d- I'm debating which one I like the most, but I think the one, the, my hot take that I like the most is that I think there will be four plus trades in the first round, and none of them will include Aaron Rodgers or Lamar Jackson. <laughs> I don't think either of them are getting traded before draft day, and I don't think either of them are getting traded on draft day. But I think there's going to be a lot of movement in the draft. Yeah. So not including the trades that have already happened. Correct. Like four draft four trades. Yes, four or more draft day trades. I'll buy that. I'll buy that because what you got probably Tennessee looking to move up. I've heard Las Vegas now is talking about moving up. Yeah, that's popping up in a lot of mocks lately. As um, I was scrolling through a lot of the recent ones from like this week, I'm seeing a lot of movement up from Vegas. Yeah, De- Detroit. I don't think they're going to move up from six, but I do think there's a really good chance they move up from 18. Like we, Brad Holmes is a super aggressive general manager. He goes after the guy he wants. He's traded up in both of his first two drafts at some point. So I think if the the right player is sitting there, you know, in the the late, you know, I don't know, tenish area, yeah, I think I think you could see him move up, similar to how he did with Jameson for Jameson Williams last year. But um, so there, there's three potential trade partners right there. The Eagles, we know that they kind of want to move down, probably with from yep. one of their spots. Yep. They're both candidates. The Texans we've heard are, are possibly looking to move back from 12 to get some more capital. Yep. Um, and uh, if you look at Lance Zerline's recent mock, he actually had them trading up from 12. So they passed on the quarterback at two, and then they came up from 12 to get the quarterback. Fascinating pathway that no one has really talked about except for Lance. Yeah. The more I dove into that, the more I'm like, wow, that really makes sense, especially if they have two quarterbacks they love. So yep. if they've got a Bryce Young and, say, a Will Levis with a similar grade. Yep. And you, but you love, you know, Anderson or Carter, whoever, and you, you want both guys. You want a quarterback and your building block on defense. There's no reason they shouldn't try that. Absolutely. Um, for, for a team that's so at the beginning of yes. what, of their rebuild, of their, re, you know, of building up this team again, like, yes, bringing in a quarterback should probably be a priority. But at the same time, I mean, you've seen other teams go about it in different ways where quarterback wasn't a priority and it works out fine too. And so why not go like, why not on a team that is desperate for talent? Why not go for the best player available who can impact your team at a, you know, a premier position that isn't quarterback, like an edge or even like an interior defensive line or even a corner, things like that. Like why not go and get talent in other areas when you, when you're so desperate for it. You're not going to compete this year. I think everybody can kind of agree with that. You probably, you might not even compete to like a, for a playoff spot next year, but all like right now, it should just be about accumulating talent as much and as fast as possible. Yep. 
I agree with that. So, I mean, right off, right off the bat there, we just identified like four fairly obvious potential trades. And, there, and there's always some that surprise you too. And like, especially with so many GMs and people in decision-making um, positions, they uh, prioritize analytics. And I feel like a lot of analytics kind of push toward looking at trading, accumulating draft capital, things like that. And with more guys in that position, I think we're see you're going to see, and we've seen more, more trades in the draft, more movement in the draft because of that. Because there are guys that prioritize the picks over, you know, the premier draft, you know, the premier draft spot. They'd rather have five swings at it than three. A hundred percent. All right. Before we move on, any other obvious trade scenarios you could see? Oh yeah, I got one. Baltimore. Yeah, and Baltimore. You know, as we get to the draft, and if things are still unclear about Lamar Jackson, well, actually, I don't. I don't even think we need clarity there. I think the one thing that is clear is he don't want to play in Baltimore. So, no, there was that awkward press conference the other day with Harbaugh, where people started wanting to ask about Lamar because obviously, and they just were like, "We're not. We're not going to answer questions about him today." Like it's it's reaching the point where everybody's sick of it. The organization and Lamar and you know, I mean, we've even reached a point where I think people have kind of stopped talking about it overall. Everybody just wants something to happen. The problem is is the Ravens are the ones that have to like help make something happen. Yeah. And they're not doing it. Right. Yeah, they're gonna take their ball and go home. Yeah, but I think they're so they're an obvious trade up candidate because they're going to need a quarterback at some point. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously they could stand at twenty three and look at a guy like Hooker, which honestly is not a terrible fit. But, um, yeah, I, I think maybe they they'd get in the mix there. But I also think Minnesota is a team that could show up as like they don't they haven't been talked about trading much, but I feel like they're in a weird weird spot overall with their team Kirk Cousins is nearing potentially the end they're you know they've got some young guys some older I could see them trading down accumulating more draft capital and trying to fill out that roster a little bit more yes yeah I mean that is quite quasi being an analytics guy that's what he's going to want to do so yeah that's what I that's I mean he did it last year and I think that again he's a guy that wants a lot of swings at it trust yep. his trust his process wants more swings at it wants to help, like build out this team and I think that he's like I said he's a guy that I could I could see making a move making a move down I don't really see them going up but I think they want they're going to want to accumulate more draft picks as or as many as they can for sure. All right, I'm going to throw one out there. This is a big one for me. So I've I'm through most of my defensive evaluations at this point. Yep. There's two cornerbacks that are kind of like in their tier at the top. Yep. Devin Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez. Yep. Um, Witherspoon played primarily press man in college. He has the most press man reps of any corner in this draft. That's what he did. And he did it at a very high level. Christian Gonzalez 
was the opposite. He didn't do a lot of press man. He's got some reps of it. I'm not saying he didn't ever do it. But for the mo- most of his snaps, he was playing zone. And not only that, some type of off zone. Yep. Where he's reading a lot of what's happening in front of him. And what's crazy is the more I really kind of section out their skill sets and skill summaries, the more I think their best fit in the NFL is to literally flip their roles. I think Witherspoon coming in and playing. No, I'm not saying he can't play man. Certainly not saying that. But I do think his best skill is his instincts, his ability to play through the hands of a receiver, his ball hawking nature, his physicality. So coming up and laying the wood, you don't get opportunities to do that when you play man because you're usually in chase or you're in phase, you're playing some type of trail, you're chasing a guy all over the field. Right. When you're in zone, you get to really maximize that physicality. I think Witherspoon's best pathway to success in the NFL is playing on a team that is going to prioritize zone a little bit more than man. Again, I'm not saying he can't play man, but you're going to want him playing some type of off coverage. I'm not even sure he wouldn't be best fit in the slot because I think that's where he could make the biggest impact as a run defender. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Gonzalez, on the other hand, I don't ever want that guy playing zone. (laughs) Poor instincts. This is my biggest issue and why I have Witherspoon actually ahead of him. I think Gonzalez really shows poor instincts. Explain this to me, Steve. You got a guy in Witherspoon who's – or sorry, Gonzalez, who's almost 6'2", got 34-inch arms, ridiculous explosiveness and burst and athleticism, yet he had half the ball production of Devin Witherspoon despite playing in zone 60% more of the time. Yeah. What does that speak to? It speaks to a lack of instincts, generally speaking. He's very slow to process route concepts in front of him. He doesn't have this click and close that Devin Witherspoon has. Um, he's really, I don't know if it's a lack of urgency or just a, a, a lack of seeing it, but he does not break on breaks underneath of him when he's in zone coverage. So I, and from a physical standpoint, he has all the traits in the world to be a press man corner. So I think getting Gonzalez, and I don't think anyone disagrees with that, by the way. I think everyone agrees Gonzalez is, is a press man guy. He just didn't have a lot of reps of it in college. So yeah, I think best pathway to success for him is for him to be a press man guy and Witherspoon being his own guy. So I kind of see their roles reversing in the NFL. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that hot take? I The way you lay it out makes a lot of sense. I think that like you said, so much of what Witherspoon's calling card is, is coming up and laying lumber. Yeah. It is being involved in the play. And that, like you said, man-to-man corners don't get that as much. You're you're running with a guy, you're being run off and run game. You're like it's You're prioritized on that guy. But being able to put him, like you said, in the slot and more of a zone coverage, allowing him to have eyes in the backfield, allowing him to have eyes on the quarterback, it'll allow him to, like you said, process the play, process things a lot faster and come up and make an impact in the run in the run game in this in screen or against the screen game like have him you know get in get into the mud get in the nitty gritty like that's what he showed he can do why not let him go run around and you know make plays you put him in man you're taking away like you're not taking it away but it, he just becomes less impactful in that yeah and physically speaking like like i said i think witherspoon can play in man i think he's a good athlete I don't think he's anywhere near the fluid athlete that Gonzalez is, though. Gonzalez's hips, man. Like, did you see my tweet yesterday about 
the Sindarian elf. The Sindarian elf. That's yeah. Christian Gonzalez. He looks like Legolas when he's running around. Like he's like not even touching the surface of the ground. He's just right on top of it. He just floats. He's just lanky. He, he glides. Yeah. He just literally looks like he's gliding. He's he's made for, for man coverage. Witherspoon, like I said, he's not a bad athlete. He can play in man, but like to really maximize him, I want to activate that brain in those ball skills. Like his ability to understand angles and get his hands through the hands of receivers is unbelievable. Yeah. It's it's a skill you can't really teach. Um, something Gonzalez really struggles with too, even in man, like he he's not great at body positioning and getting himself in position to make plays on the ball. So you'll see a lot of reps in man, even Steve, where he's got tight, really tight coverage, but the the pass is completed, you know, with just an average throw because Gonzalez isn't in position to make a play on the ball. We've seen this. Like this is Jerry Jacobs and Jeff Akuda to a T, right? right? Both these guys, they're tight coverage on every play, but they give up a lot downfield because they're not making plays on the ball. They can't get their head around. So I think Gonzalez is a little bit more raw too than people are, are making it out to be. But I love both guys. They're both top 10 players for me. Gonzalez, I think they both can be functional in the other scheme. So I think Witherspoon can be functional, man. I think Gonzalez can be functional in zone. But I think they'll both be best doing the opposite of what they did in college. Yeah, and putting Gonzalez in man-to-man, it takes it a little bit. It takes away the you know the mental processing of it. You just have to focus. Like in pass plays, you just have to focus on your guy. Yep. And so, like, if you if you're able to maybe take away that decision making and just say, you know, ball goes ball goes to your guy, make a play. Like maybe taking away some of the, you know, all the mental processing, having to figure out your zone, things like that. Yeah, it could help him, like you said, to become a more more successful right away. There's not to say that's not to say that like he won't develop those skills. Oh, sure. Later, but sure. immediate NFL impact. Like take away some of that. Take away some of that decision-making some of that mental processing that he has to go through and just let him guard a guy. Yes. Um, two other players I felt really strongly about this with it recently. Clemson athlete Isaiah Simmons. Yep. I contended when he came out that this guy is a cornerback. Have him cut a little weight and play cornerback. Do not try him at safety. He doesn't have the mental processing for that. Do not put him on the edge um, because when you're on the line of scrimmage, Steve, everything happens faster. Yep. When you're in the box specifically, it's like box safety or a linebacker or whatever hybrid role he was going to play. So if you have bad processing, that's just only going to get worse the closer to the line of scrimmage you get. Well, guess what happened? Sure enough, they finally moved the guy to corner this year, and he has his best year by far. A little bit of a breakout campaign. It looks like we finally found the role for Isaiah Simmons. I called it before the guy was drafted. Will Harris, another one. Lions now slot corner. Yep. The, my biggest issue when he was coming out was same thing. The closer he got to the line of scrimmage, the worse he got. His reps at Boston College where he was playing like deep safety were a little bit better. As he moved in closer, played in the box, or played even played some linebacker. It got really murky. It's not a physicality issue. It's a processing issue. Right. So the day the Lions drafted him, I said, this guy has the athletic makeup and physicality to be a cornerback. Like, let him go see ball, chase ball, see car, chase car. Yeah. And put him in, in man coverage. That's what he did this year for the Lions. Whether he played the first half of the year on the outside 
was probably their best corner over that stretch, then moved to the slot and played his best football in the NFL through four years in the slot. So uh, I, I have a good track record of calling this thing. So I think Gonzalez, Gonzalez should definitely, definitely be more of a, a man corner. But anyways. Yeah, I like it. Rant over. Next, next one for you. I think there will be more tight ends taken in the first round than wide receivers. Whoa! Yeah. I am I'm not that sold on this receiver class as first round talent. I'm right there with you. One of mine that I was gonna bring up next was I think there might be three or four receivers drafted in the first round and no more. So yeah, I think I'm, there I'm, might I think there might be three tight ends taken. I think that's a very three. real possibility. Or more. I think like there's a potential that a fourth could sneak in there. There's definitely four probably worth taking. It's just such a hard – that's hard. If you wanted to sell me on not going to be a lot of receivers drafted, I, I'll fully get on board. The problem with the tight end thing is like, so who's dropping out of the first round? As far as receivers? As far as positions go. Because to get four tight ends, yeah, you can trade one or two with with receivers, but like there's other positions that are loaded as well, like offensive tackle, for example. Like Dewan yeah. Jones, is he a first round pick to you? Yes, I think he is. But my right. so my thing is that when it comes down to it, I think that the back once you get past like ten to twelve, there isn't a lot of bona fide like first round picks. And I think that's been kind of echoed a little bit here, a, l- a little bit throughout the process, and. It's more so that I think that there are difference makers at tight ends or at least guys that they think will be difference makers, and I think that could push them up over some of the corners that might go later in the draft or like later in the first round is, you know, if you're making a decision, if you want a playmaker at tight end over a, you know, another corner, I think that's like that's a position that could go interchangeable. I think that there's a lot of defensive backs and a lot of like pretty good defensive backs, and I think that. They might there might be a pri- like there might be a prioritization of these athlete these athletic you know ball catching tight ends over potentially like another defensive back. It's possible. It is possible. I I think drafts tend to when you have like a really deep position group like corner or off. Actually, I shouldn't say offense. I don't think offensive tackle is very deep. Um, corner or what, what was the other example I was going to give? Edge players. Well, yeah, edge. Let's just stick with corners, though. You will see teams start to pass on those guys because the depth of the class. Yeah. But tight end is also extremely deep. So, And it's not a valuable position, so that's my only concern. And then you have other positions like tackle or a tiered defensive line where – if you don't get a guy early, you're not getting a guy like Mozzie Smith, for example, is, is a great example. D tackle from Michigan. D- you can't find guys that move like him, his size. They don't grow right. on trees. I don't see a pathway where he's not a first round pick. So now you're talking about how many interior defensive line guys are going to go. You've got Carter, Canty, Brise, Mozzie Smith. So that's four. That's more than a normal draft, probably. Yep. Um, if you don't get one of those four guys, you're not getting a. Um, a needle mover 
Like Keanu Benton can play, but I don't think he's at that those guys' level. Siaki um, Ika. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's a very one-dimensional player, so I do right. think he can push the pocket a little bit as a pass rusher, but he's not giving you a ton of upside there. So point being is like I think teams will start to prioritize these positions. Like in my recent mock, Steve, I left out Anton Harrison, Dewan Jones, and Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright was, full disclosure, an accident. He should have been in the first round. I just forgot. Right. Um, the other two, though, I wasn't going to put him in there. But the more I look at it, I'm like, I don't know how those guys aren't first-round picks. Because after after those guys, who are you drafting to play tackle in this draft class? It gets really sketch. You're not. <laughs> in tight end, yeah. So maybe we pass on Michael Mayer in the first round because we can get Sam Laporta at pick 60. Which is fair. Yeah. I just think that, like – if, and that, I mean, obviously, totally fair point. I, it's such a weird. I feel like this is such a weird draft this year, compared to like yes. a, the past few. In that, there's so much. It's just all murky. Like I said, after like the top, God, top ten, top twelve, where I think a lot of teams are going to have a lot of guys graded very differently and i just like i think i could see tight end being a position that gets prioritized toward like the back end of the draft for some teams yeah and listen my opinion on on the receiver class and the tight end class is very similar to yours i love this receiver class from a depth standpoint i think you can find very good players like deep into the fourth round Right. But there's not dog like there's not a lot of dogs in this class. There might be two guys. I honestly think they have a clear pathway to being a wide receiver one in the NFL. Like Which is, and I mean Jackson Smith and Jigba and Quinton Johnston. Yeah. Like everybody else is a crapshoot. Like I don't think Zay is gonna ever be that. I don't think Hyatt's ever gonna be that. I don't think Josh Josh Downs is never gonna sniff wide receiver one status for a team. Um then you're getting into guys like Cedric Tillman, A.T. Perry, Marvin Mims. Maybe they can do it. Mims probably not, but those other two bigger guys. But, like, the the maybe is so large. You just don't, like, I don't know. So the I would say the framework is there for you to be correct because I don't think there's a lot of difference makers at receivers this year. Right, and that combined. A lot of difference makers at tight ends. That combined thing. with the continual raise in depth at, in the draft at receiver. Yes. I think a lot of teams are realizing that the college game is getting more advanced when it comes to receivers. Like guys are coming in a lot more ready and this year's a down year. And if you have a need at wide receiver, Hey, maybe you can get by with what you have right now. And you can, you can push that, that need off until next year and, you know, fill it with a stop gap right now. Whereas I feel like tight end, there's it's so hit and miss every year and this is feels like one of the more robust tight end classes in a little in a, in a few oh, years that's and, one i've ever evaluated and so. there's not even a guarantee and that's definitely not a guarantee with the development of the tight end position in college becoming a lot like with college being more spread out a lot of tight ends becoming less in line guys more more athletes that you can use out of the slot things like that with a class of this deep i feel like there might be a chance to say okay we can we don't see this depth and this type of talent in the tight end class that often. Like let's take a run at it this year and then we'll, you know, push off a different need to a later round or we'll push off a different need until next year. 
Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can see it. Like I said, I can see the framework for it to happen. I probably wouldn't put my money on it, but I could, if, if it happened, I wouldn't be like shocked by any means. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's stick on that train of thought. My next, uh, my next hot take thing was Jackson Smith and Jigba is every bit as equipped to play on the outside as he is in the slot. Yeah. We started talking, we started talking about this a little yes. bit. Yeah, because I was getting crazy feedback on my on my mock draft about the Lions taking JSN because Amon Ross St. Brown is already there. And I really do think – I've said this probably now. On, I've said this on On the Clock four times. I said it on John's radio show this morning on Sirius XM. Stop with the <laughs> JSN stuff as a slot-only guy. Just please stop. Everyone is falling into this Justin Jefferson trap where Jefferson played next to some studs. Yes. And Terrace Marshall being a 6'4", like he was never going to be a slot guy for them, at least not at uh, more than a 50% snap share. Right. Jamar Chase was a freaking maniac on the outside. Right. Jefferson had to play somewhere. He he played in the slot, and from what I've heard, he did it voluntarily as well to help the team. Yeah. And by the way, he had a whole year of playing on the outside before that, and he was fine out there on the outside. People are following this Jefferson trap, though. They did the same thing with Justin Jefferson. People were projecting him as a late first, early second round pick yep. because he was a slot-only guy. Yep. I didn't see it. He was a top 10 player for me in that draft class. Jackson Smith and Jigba is the same thing for me. Like, somebody please tell me one reason he can't play on the outside. Give me one. And if you cite 40 time, I'm going to smack you in the face. <laughs> Because he ran a four four six to four four eight forty, there every good receiver in the NFL minus Tyreek Hill that plays on the outside ran pretty much that exact forty. Stephon yeah. Diggs, AJ Brown, Devonte Adams, AJ Green, like all, dude, the best receivers over the last five years ish, five to ten years have all ran forties in that range. So I don't want that hear it. combined with other than like Tyreek Hill and a couple others. How many? straight up burners do we even see that are like highly successful in the nfl scott barrett has actually done incredible research on this steve 40 time actually negatively correlates with wide receiver success it's not the receiver's fault by the way no but it's the nfl overdrafting speed yes seeing guys like hate to use the darius hayward bay example but ah, that was the one that i was thinking of that was the first one that came to my ago. mind Tyquan Thornton last year had no business being a top 60 player. Right. But he ran in the four twos, so he gets drafted in the top 60. So 40 time actually negatively correlates with NFL success at the receiver position, which is so freaking funny. It's hilarious. We have so so many combine Bible thumpers on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And it like, you shouldn't penalize someone like JSN or like we did with Justin Jefferson, just because he played with really good teammates. Yes. Like just because he's playing with Marvin Harrison jr. And Egribuka and all those, like all the guys that have gone Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson, Chris, like all these guys that have gone through though. Yeah. Two top 12 picks, two top 12 picks that voluntarily said that, that JSN is better than them. That's true. That could be a little bit of bro bromancing, but on purpose. It could, but 
I've heard you've heard it. I feel like you've heard it echoed over the last two years from everyone in that building, though. I mean, Heart, Heartline has said it over and over. That he just like the best he's ever coached. Yeah, he just went on the, a podcast the other day and said that JSN was like number two out of the, I think number two or number three of all the receivers that he's coached at Ohio State, which yeah. is a, which is a murderer's row of contributors in the NFL. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right, though. You can't penalize a guy for playing in the slot when he played next to Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. They both were drafted top 11. Yeah. And, boy, JSN's freshman season, he had Jamison Williams on that team. So he didn't yeah. get on the field much, but, like, so he played with three guys that were all drafted in the top 12 because Jamison was the 12th pick last year. Yep. And then guess what? Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be the number one receiver drafted next year, probably in the top 10. Yeah. We and even yet the, the, the wide receiver coach at that program is telling you that JSN is the best of the bunch. So I don't know. I, there's no reason the guy can't thrive on the outside. Um, I would go so far to say is I think he's not only the, he's the safest prospect in this class, like of any position. And he probably... I think Quinton Johnson is a slightly higher ceiling just because he is just an athletic, you know, I don't know. He's like a Marvel character. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um, he's made out of a lab. Yeah. He's made out of a lab. But, oh, I'm about to go on another rant there, too. <laughs> I've seen people complaining that, that Quinton Johnson is slow because he ran 448 or something. They've literally called him slow. One scout had him at 451, I think. I'm telling you guys, four five one is not slow, especially not for his archetype of player. And we have Zebra Technologies have come out repeatedly and said, you know, he was running 21.5, 21.7 miles an hour last year in a TC uniform with pads on. There was only four ball carriers in the NFL this year who ran faster than Quinton Johnson did last year on the football field. So let's just. You also have to factor in size. A four five for a guy that's six three is much different than a four five for a guy that's five eleven. I mean, the speed still is the same, but yeah, I I get what you're saying. Like, it's more impressive because he's bigger, right? But yeah, I don't know. I think both both these two receivers at the top of the draft are getting mis misread. So the funny thing is, is a lot of the guys that are are throwing the shade on JSN Steve. You know who they got? You know who they love? Is Zay Flowers, who's a, who's even more of a slot only guy than JSN. I know, I know. It blows my mind. I I love Zay Flowers, so don't get me wrong. I think yeah. Zay is great. I think Zay can probably play on the outside a little bit too. I don't think he's going to play out there a ton, but he's got reps on tape where he's he's winning out there. So no reason why you can't do that. But man, like, how can you? juxtapose those two things you don't like jsn because he's slot only yet you love zay flowers i don't it just blew my seven-year-old weighs more than zay flowers man like come on i've weighed more than zay flowers since i was a sophomore in high school yeah dude i my freshman year in high school football i, I played at like 205 so <laughs> holy cow i was That's a running a back too Nice. That's impressive. I love that. Yeah, and a linebacker. But imagine tackling a 205-pound running back as a freshman in high school. Oh, I mean, it's just an immediate advantage. Immediate advantage there. 
All right, my JSN slash QJ rant is over. So why don't you why don't you tee us up for a one final take, hot take? Make one one final hot take. I think that Will McDonald makes his way into the first round. Okay, sell me. Let's go. I think I think that people are going to get. I think he t- he tested really well, and I think that people are going to get enamored by that. I like. I feel like Edge more than anything. The minute those testing numbers come out and you see a guy that's up in the like with the RA, RAS, if they're like nine and a half and above, I feel like they immediately shoot up the board. And like Will McDonald, I feel like he's been kind of teetering. He's been moving up, and I feel like he might make a push because of his athleticism into the first round over a guy like Miles Murphy. I think he could. I think Miles Murphy could drop, and Will McDonald could go up. Shut your mouth right now. I don't, don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I think that, Miles Murphy like that on my podcast. I think it could happen. I don't agree with it, but I just I think that he might make a move up because of his elite athleticism. Wait, isn't Murphy like a nine nine Raz or something? Yeah, but I like there's something about a guy that has that much like I feel like I don't know. I just I just see Will McDonald making a push up. I feel like I've heard his name more. I feel like he's getting talked about more. I think that he can make a push into the first round. Yeah, I mean I do think NFL teams are probably more friendly to speed rushers that can win the edge. Um, you know, hit just rip rip a speed rush or or long arm and then dip and bend. So I Maybe I I wouldn't say over Miles Murphy, but I think getting into the first round is possible. Um, my biggest issue with McDonald is I don't think he's a guy who's going to win a ton of one-on-one reps right now. Um, like his pass rush win rate from my vantage point was not great. Yeah, he didn't have great competition either. So I don't know. That's that's the one thing that concerns me. I I probably tend to agree with you though. I think he he sneaks in. I didn't mock him in the first round recently, but I think he probably does sneak into the first um but there's to your point about the super athletic guys there is a bunch in that i would say in that range fringe first round guys like let's just go through a couple um will mcdonald felix and aduke azuma do you think he's a first round pick i honestly have not done enough research on him to make a call on that bj ojalari He's like this very similar player to McDonald. Uh, yeah. Eddie Tomiwa Edoboware, the Northwestern edge. Yep. That dude is a freak of nature. Um. So like not all these guys obviously can go in the first. Right. And again, that's another, I think like edge rusher going back to the point early edge rusher is another position that could get pushed, potentially get pushed down for because it has like a good mid tier depth. Bunch of dudes, yeah. Bunch of depth in the in the middle, and or like you know late first, early second type of area that that, that could elevate different positions. You know who actually Will McDonald reminds me of a little bit. Who? Hassan Reddick. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty good um, archetype. Yeah, and the way they win similar, like if you if you put McDonald on a team that's willing to scheme up pressure for him, like like Reddick's breakout this year, as good as it was, it was a lot of it was schemed up. You know, they very creative with him. Line him up in the B gap, line him up in the A gap here and there, get him on some twists, some stunts, some delays, get him, you know, elephant fronts to overload one side and get him isolated. Um if you can do if you're willing to do that with McDonald, I think you can get similar production. My other big concern with McDonald, real quick, 
developmental runway. He's already 24 years old or close to it. I think he's going to be 24 at the draft. Yeah. Where does it go from there? He's pretty raw still. He's, he really lacks play strength. It's tough. Developmental upside might cap his ability to get drafted in the first round. I don't know, though. Um, when I see – I mean, DJ's been mocking him in the first forever now. Lance has done it. So, I mean, when the top guys are doing it, you gotta you got to sit back and be objective about it and say, what am I – there's something I'm not seeing on tape that these guys are, but um, yeah. If someone if someone thinks they can get Hassan Reddick production out of him, though, he will go in the first round. So I'll grant you that. Like a Buffalo Bills could go that way. Bills wouldn't be a bad spot, and they have the you know they they like to do big end small end thing. They have the big end covered already. So yep. Russo and who's the other? They drafted two. Epinesa, right? They, they drafted three. Then they have another one. Um, same draft as Russo. Epinesa was the year before. Then they drafted Russo and somebody else. What? I gotta look this up. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Buffalo depth chart. Bernard. He didn't play a lot last year. Said player. Oh, they still have Vaughn Miller too. By the way. Yeah. Oh, B- Boogie Basham. It's Boogie Basham. Basham. Yeah. Russo was a first round pick. Boogie Basham was the the round later. Then they still have Epinesa from the draft before. They got Vaughn Miller. So McDonald would be great in the, the Vaughn Miller role. Obviously, right. we can develop him there. Um, yeah, I like that call. I like it. I can see the Chiefs doing that too, by the way. Yep, that was another team that I looked um, at that, you know, back end of the like back end of the draft, guys, teams that are just looking to elevate a position that could be, you know, yeah. Hey, let's get, let's get Von Miller's potential replacement in there. Have him learn under Von Miller. And then boom, once yeah. he's done, he takes over and we're off. We're back. We, you know, don't lose anything. Yeah. And the chiefs too, I mean, had a similar player in Frank Clark. So I think maybe they, they see the, the one-to-one replacement there potentially. So I have what, before we go, I have one question just cause you've done so much research and you're in this, okay. you're in the, in the meat of it all every year there's a guy that inexplicably falls yes a top draft draft prospect for whatever reason who do you think that might be this year oh i'm putting you on the spot here but i've been i've been thinking i've been like thinking about that lately of like all right, there's always that one guy, the one or two guys that like everybody has mocked in the top 15, but they inexplicably fall out. Who do you think it. that could be? I already got it. Lucas Van Ness. Okay. Edge from Iowa. He's getting mocked in the top 15 in just about every mock right now. He has he has skyrocketed in the last like two weeks. Even my recent mock, I put him at 15, even though I don't really like him as a prospect. I like yeah. Miles Murphy, who's a similar archetype, way more, like exponentially more. But I think savvy teams are going to look at the Van Ness situation and think, well, he's not as good of an athlete as he tested. That's clear on tape. He didn't start a single game at Iowa. Think about that for one second. We're talking about a potential top 15 pick, and he didn't start a single game. He was a role player at Iowa. Now, yeah, college football coaches do stupid things all the time. Shoot, NFL football coaches do. That's not the point. When you don't – the fact that Iowa just never valued him as more than a rotational, you know, 
role specific player is alarming, especially because he's a big man. He's 275 pounds. He's a powerful player. It's just weird to me, Steve. I can't get over that fact. I don't love his tape either. Pass rush win rate was not ideal for a guy you're projecting to be a top edge rusher. Do I think he can set the edge and be good against the run? Yeah, in the right scheme, I think he'd be very good at that stuff. I just don't see first round player. He doesn't. He didn't score as a first round player for me. So we're just so we're clear. Yeah, um, he just he scored as a, a second round player. I think there might be some developmental upside there, but I, I, if I had to pick a guy to fall compared to what his consensus rating is, it would be him for sure. I like it. I like it. I feel before like wrapping up here, I think we're going to be more surprised by this draft overall. I think we're going to see a lot more surprises than we do in recent drafts. I feel like there's so much in the air. There's so many guys that one team could value way higher and another team could have like a, a two round difference on them. Like there, I think there's a lot of guys that, you know, I think teams might jump up for because they see it. They see more of a scheme fit because there isn't that like overall insane player that it's like, all right, just plug him and play him anywhere. There's like a lot more guys where it's like, okay, does he fit your scheme? Does he fit your team? Okay. Yeah. We value him here. And then another team that, you know, looks at it and is like, well, we don't really do, we're not going to change what we do for them. And so like we have them, you know, much more, much, much further down. It's, I just think that overall I'm excited. I'm really excited for this draft because I feel like it could go so it could go in so many different directions from the quarterback standpoint, from a, you know, receiver or tight end standpoint, from the cornerback, from the cornerback standpoint, there's a lot of positions where there's a lot of guys that could really jockey around based on what teams are where and what teams like a guy over another. Yeah. To, to tie a bow on that, Steve, um, I have 22 first round grades in this class and that is higher from, from the guys I've talked to in the league that's higher than everybody. And it's because I put um, positional value boosts in my scores. Yeah. So I, I get a lot of extra, I get like one extra corner and one extra receiver every year. This yep. year I have Hendon hooker in there too. So um, I've talked to team people, Steve, who have six, 14 to 16 first round grades. And that's what I've, that's, I've seen that floating around yeah. too. Some teams 16 to 18. And then here's the crazy thing though. So what that means is the back half of the first round is going to be an absolute free for all because after your first round grades, not every, it's not like every team's working off of a consensus board post on ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's board is going to look dramatically different. Right. You're going to see things you never thought was going to happen yep. because teams will inevitably draft for need and the number one player at a position of need might be the sixth best available guy on your board because you're not you're not you're not creating a vertical board based on team specific ideas. Yeah. So names I've heard that are going to go in the first round that I have never mocked in the first round: Anton Harrison, um, Jameer Gibbs. I've heard is going to go in the first round. So yeah, like the, you start throwing extra guys in there. Well, somebody has to make it. You know, someone's getting bumped out. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of craziness in the back. I'm actually really excited. We're doing that. The fantasy points live stream. It's going to be me, Scott, and I believe Joe Dolan. I'm not sure yet, but I feel like I'm just going to be like this the whole time. Yeah. But you know, the Joe Rogan meme, like, yeah, <laughs> like 
And that's why that's why I really think about like that trade thing is that like that back half could yeah. you, you could see people shooting and dropping up and down the board left and right because you know it's you know, we prioritize this player we want him and we don't have any all of our like and then there's like going to be teams that are going to say all of our guys are gone yeah we well, don't <laughs> what did dean campbell say i don't know why he says things like this in the media <laughs> they have six players in the entire draft they like he said something to that effect yeah dan why are you saying that what? he said six six players that are truly fits on the team is what he said truly yeah. like plug them in right away dude you can't but a lot of teams are going to feel that way um and savvy teams steve like to your point they're going to try to move out of the first round because if they view the draft like i do where yeah you might only have 16 18 first round picks but that next tier is freaking 40 to 50 deep yep so why would we take why would we take a player at 17 for example that we probably can get similar quality at 39 40 45 so i think you will see a lot of savvy teams trying to move out and then more desperate teams or more win now teams might try to sneak up back into the first to get get guys they specifically really like so yeah anyways that is gonna do it for episode 50 of the take talk podcast please follow us on twitter i am at bg whitefield this is at call me Stevo seven after 50 episodes. I get that without having to ask you. Yeah. Nailed it. Call me Stevo seven. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening next week. We will be doing the giveaway for episode 50. Appreciate you guys. We are. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the fantasy points podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.